Kevin Bowen, Kevin's Corner, welcome back. Certainly got to have two podcasts this week with uh, the Colts making a couple of moves as we get to the end of week two of free agency, and then we're seeing Devin Funches uh, join the Packers as well. So figured uh, we'll get one to you here on Friday morning. I'm, uh, I'm recording this, and uh, we'll probably get into more of a kind of one-a-week podcast now moving forward. Uh, we still have a decent amount of Twitter questions uh, via the DMs, and I know a lot of people are like, hey, you haven't asked for Twitter questions and all that. I'm like, yes, I get that. Um, we still are getting a good amount, though, that people just send to me randomly, and I kind of keep a running log of those, and uh, we will touch on those questions on today's podcast. But Xavier Rhodes, Sheldon Day, Devin Funches, that will be the focus here of episode 202 which is just astonishing to me, and shouts to Joey Molinero for definitely being a huge, huge cause and uh, us getting to that number and continuing now um, as we reach into the free agency period where the Colts have, as of, again, March 27th, I think it's just a hair over $20 million. I want to say $22 million with that Xavier Rhodes deal. I haven't seen the official numbers on Sheldon Day. I'm not expecting anything too immense there. So right around 20 million. And I still think there are a couple of definite areas to address. And I will get into that later in today's podcast. So far now, again, uh, about two weeks through free agency, just a little bit of an overview before we break down the individual moves um, from the past few days. The moves the Colts have made re-sign Anthony Costanzo, obviously the trade for DeForest Buckner, the one-year $25 million for Phillip Rivers, the one-year deal for LaRaven Clark, and then uh, Sheldon Day earlier this week, and uh, throw in Xavier Rhodes. You want to talk about a bummer for me with Xavier Rhodes. My X button doesn't work. I'm just pounding it right now on the laptop. Finally, after seven pounds, it works. I mean, of all the buttons on the laptop, folks, the X button not working is probably not a big deal. Then they go and sign Xavier Rhodes. I mean, you're just you're just killing me. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to open up this laptop and try to figure that out. But any suggestions from people out there? I've got a MacBook Pro. Apple Store's closed. My father works there as a, um, as a retirement job. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Xavier Rhodes rounds out that group. So six additions or re-signings, Costanzo and Clark being the two re-signings. Um, guys that are gone, Marcus Hunt released, your number 13 overall pick gone, Joe Haig with the Buccaneers, Pierre Desir with the Jets, Josh Andrews with the Jets, Eric Ebron with the Steelers, Brian Hoyer with the Patriots, Devin Funches with the Packers. Um, so again, as we sit here right now, about 10 days, 9 days officially into free agency, uh, the guys that are on the open market of the Colts, their Colts' own free agents, you have Chester Rogers, um, Jabal Sheard, Clayton Gethers, Dontrell Inman, Jonathan Williams, Chester Rogers, Adam Vinatieri. A couple of restricted free agents they didn't bring back. Brian Body, Calhoun, 
and uh, Marcus Johnson, which I guess is a little surprised by Marcus Johnson. So of your own, you know, Gathers, Inman, Rogers, Sheard, Vinatieri, Williams. You know, it, it's a list that I don't scream for any of those guys to come back. You know, Sheard's kind of always been a guy, but I actually like what they've done on the defensive line so far. You know, we'll get into filling kind of the defensive end role here in just a second. But it, it is interesting, like all of those guys played some role for this team this past season. So um, you couple that with some of the names that you've lost. And I mean, the Colts are filling, you know, or are going to have to fill some of those roles um, here in 2020. Uh, but again, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that uh, in future podcasts. Let's start with the Xavier Rhodes move. Uh, we saw that Thursday evening. Uh, you know, you guys that listen to Tuesday's podcast know full well that um, I, I wanted a veteran free agent, a longer outside corner. I think we even mentioned Rhodes' name, and he obviously fits a lot of that makeup. Now, there are a lot of questions and a lot of fair questions to have about this move, and we'll touch on that. I think in general, again, this is Chris Ballard doing something a little bit different. Is it as drastic as the Philip Rivers to Forrest Buckner things? No, 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 n- not at all in the magnitude of you know what you did at quarterback and then giving up such a high draft pick for a guy like Buckner. Um, but you say goodbye to Pierre Desir, you say hello to Xavier Rhodes, and to a lot of people, that's a head-scratching move, and it's different. It's the high-character guy walking out the building. It's the much more inconsistent player, especially as of late, that is coming into your building. Um, you know, I think a lot of people know of Xavier Rhodes that are Colts fans just because of the sheer just awfulness that the 2013 draft was and that Xavier Rhodes was the pick after Bjorn Werner. Uh, 25 overall was Xavier Rhodes. Uh, 27 overall was DeAndre Hopkins. Man, 31 overall was Travis Frederick. I know he just retired, but you would have, hell, Bjorn Werner retired a lot earlier than Travis Frederick. Um, Zach Ertz early in the second round. Yeah, there are some names there that um, I guess you wouldn't have been drafting Ertz considering the tight ends you have. But um, yeah, Rhodes, you know, I think it was a guy we saw mock draft really to the Colts a lot. And, and the Vontae Davis trade, you know, you didn't have a second round pick that year because of the Vontae Davis trade. But I mean, he was an all pro corner just a few years ago in Minnesota. And I think that's what you're trying to do. You, you are intrigued by that. You have members of your coaching staff that were in Minnesota with Xavier Rhodes during that time, and now you're trying to get that potential out of him. And you guys know full well one of my big kind of core beliefs in free agency is if you can go kick the tires on former first-round picks on short-term deals, I'm probably going to be a fan of it. And I'm a fan of signing Rhodes. Now, what I wouldn't have done is I don't think I would have parted ways with Pierre Desir. You know, we we go back to that Desir move that I touched on on Tuesday. Are you really in this dire cap situation? Yes, you you owed you know Desir what three million I think it was on Sunday as the fifth day of the new league year. But again, where is that money going? Unless there's some gargantuan ish move that comes here late in free agency, or at least I say late in free agency from the fact of like the high dollar guys, it is late in free agency for those guys to get that money. I I don't necessarily know 
if you needed, again, in a desperate manner to be like, hey, $6 million is too much money for Pierre Desir to be making in our cap situation. We have to let him go. You know, I, me looking at it, and honestly, I feel like Chris Ballard, you know, they preach competition so much, let it play out, get the training camp, etc. Why not Xavier Rhodes and Pierre Desir in the same room? And those two guys are, you know, duking it out maybe for that outside corner veteran presence. And if you have an injury, both those guys are on your roster. Or if, you know, Quincy Wilson looks terrible or Marvell Tell doesn't make a jump or Rocky Yassine still shows some inconsistency, like those factors, now you have two guys that, again, on the short-term level, maybe you can get them to be playing at a high level. Um, so I guess that's where my gripe would be, but I still stress former first round picks on one year deals. That is a big part of free agency for me. Um, it's no guarantee, but it's low risk, high reward. And if you can get 2018 Eric Ebron out of this deal, it's a slam dunk. Now, if you get 2019, Eric Ebron, it doesn't look great. It's a miss. And that's where, okay, do you have the backup plan? That's where I think if you could have held on to Desir, that would have been something um, that I would have kind of tried to look into a little bit more. Um, you know, Rhodes as a player, one thing that is a bit of a head scratcher is he's only forced four turnovers total the last three years. And that is a big element of what Chris Ballard wants to improve on the defensive side of the ball is getting guys that create more turnovers. Um, So he doesn't really check that box there. And I just look at this move and I think higher ceiling than Desir, but a lower floor. I mean, if you look at the last couple of seasons, without a doubt, Pierre Desir is the far more consistent corner than Xavier Rhodes. Penalty-filled Rhodes, um, struggling out on an island, a lot of kind of one-on-one man matchups. We certainly saw it last year. Um, you know, nationally televised game. I think it was, was it Seattle maybe late in the year, Monday night game, where Rhodes kind of throws a temper tantrum on the sideline, and Mike Zimmer had some words about it. and um, you know, A lot of Vikings fans and you know thought he, he could have been benched. and he, just, he didn't play anywhere close to the amount of money he was making. When he was an All-Pro in 2017, he signed a big, I think it was a five-year – Let's see, five-year, $14 million deal. Last year, he was the fourth-highest-paid corner in the league. He didn't play anywhere like that. I mean, he, he, he was terrible last year. So, um, when you look at this year the past two years, again, it's a far more consistent corner. Now, what the Colts see in it is they see that we won't ask him to do things that Minnesota asked him to do that much throughout a game. It's not going to be this, hey, you're on an island, you're going to travel with corners, things like that. Now, having said that, I look at the Colts right now and I think to myself, okay, who would be your guy traveling with opposing wideouts? You know, Rock Yassine, as a rookie, you didn't have high expectations for him in a shadow role. When he was in a shadow role, he was exposed. Rhodes was clearly exposed last year. So that is a question for me I have going into 2020 is, again, the Colts don't implement that a lot. But when there are game plans that that do arise throughout the course of a season, who is that guy for you? 
the loss of DeAndre Hopkins outside of the AFC South now, you know, that isn't as pressing of a need, certainly, I think. Um, but still, let me pull up the Colts' um, 2020 schedule and um, try to tap into a little bit of that. Um, but again, I, I, I think that's a very fair question to have about where you look at the Colts right now and say, okay, again, when they want this game plan to be installed, implemented, have a new wrinkle, what are you looking like if you do want a guy that, again, is more in that um, exclusive shadow role? You know, OBJ, um, yeah, Allen Robinson, I don't know if he's that. Has A.J. Brown become that, that guy? You know, if A.J. Green can turn back the clock a little bit. Um, you know, Adam Thielen, you know, when, when you face off against the Vikings. Um, so you don't play a ton of J.J. Smith-Schuster. Smith um, so you, you don't play a, a ton of bona fide, you know, number one wideouts, and especially uh, w- with that Hopkins move. But again, I, I just think it's a wrinkle for your defense that you like to have. Um, now, one difference between Rhodes and Ebron, when you just look at these two moves of former first-round picks you've added, Ebron only 26, I think at the time, maybe 25. Uh, Xavier Rhodes will turn 30 here in a couple of months. So I think that is a big difference for him. Um, he is a strong tackler out of out of zone, which, again, is a huge element. I mean, he, he checks some of the Colts' boxes. Good tackler, and the fact that he's long, you know, 6'1", 213, that, that's very appealing to what the Colts want as that outside corner. Again, that's the big thing. That I that I wanted to harp on there as that's what you needed to fill. You know, if you're going to go play tomorrow, it's probably Rocky Seen and Kenny Moore outside of the base. Like I, I still think Kenny Moore is a good cornerback as the outside guy in a base defense, and I just want him on the field. He's this guy I trust. He's a guy that I don't want to take off the field. I think his instincts are too good. I know Nickel is his better position. But again, I, I'm not looking to do too, too much of that. Uh, but I fully expect Rhodes to compete for you know that outside job, and maybe he comes on the field in the nickel, which would be a change of pace for him. But you know, last year, I think what you saw early in the year is Rocky Seen was your nickel. He would come on the field, and then Kenny Moore would move from outside into inside and play the slot. Is that what you do with Rhodes? Does Rhodes flat out beat out Rocky Seen, and he becomes that that starter? in the base defense when you only have two corners on the field. Marvell Tell, I think, would be next up in that mix as well. Um, and before the road signing, you know, all you had was those four corners all under the age of 24 that had played snaps for you. Kenny Moore, Rocky Seen, Marvell Tell, and then uh, Quincy Wilson. So... You know, the early contract numbers I've seen around $5 million for um, for Rakusin and that, or excuse me, for um, for Xavier Rhodes. I want to say this year was owed six and a half mil. So you're paying a million and a half less for a guy, again, that you feel like higher ceiling, if you're, we're being honest, I think certainly a lower floor. Um, and and I, I'm good with kicking the tires 
you're banking that your coaching staff, Jonathan Gann, and your cornerbacks coach, who had been there when Rhodes was an all-pro, was there from 2014 to 2017, you're believing, okay, that guy can tap into some technique flaws that maybe Rhodes had or, or, or really did well earlier in his career. That's what you're trying to find out. Um, and you're going to ask him to do some things that he didn't have to do on a down-in, down-out basis when he was with uh, with Minnesota. But if I could have kept a seer and let those two guys play it out, I, I just think it's such a critical position that the more bodies you have there, simply the better. All right, moving on to Sheldon Day. Uh, I love me some Sheldon Day. I, I, I've always liked him. You guys know I'm a Notre Dame fan, and um, I, he just he, – He's got a great motor. Uh, but he just always strikes me as just a happy guy playing football. And uh, I, I, I probably have an affinity for guys that I don't feel like are the ideal or the prototypical body types for their positions, yet they just get it done. You know, Kenny Moore probably being one of those guys. Um, Sheldon Day isn't, isn't going to be any, you know, in any ESP in the body issue. But he's just a really productive player. And... Um, you know, when you pair him next to DeForest Buckner, I mean, oh my gosh, you know, Greek God versus, you know, whatever you you want to describe Sheldon Day, just because 6'1", 294, that's not a body type you usually see in today's NFL is, okay, he's your nose tackle type of guy, but I think that's the role that he will be playing. Uh, now, I still think Grover Stewart starts on early downs, but Day can rotate in, um, you know, the Colts... Several times, they will start series with a totally defensive line group just to keep guys fresh throughout the game. And I think that's where Day comes into play. Um, again, very quick first step. It's the short area quickness where Day has really excelled, dating back to his days at Notre Dame. He just catches offensive guards off guard. Um, not to jumble too many words in there, but that's simply what he does. They're like, whoa, whoa, where did he come from? And, you know, I am curious of, like, did they watch the Forrest Buckner tape and then become a little bit more enamored with Day? Because Day started to end last season and started throughout the playoffs for San Francisco. He was their starter um, at defensive tackle alongside Buckner. And then Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead flanking him and D Ford rotating in. You know, you talk about an I-step test, which one doesn't fit given how much money they make and... <laughs> Sheldon Day would be atop that list. But, you know, this guy's a fourth-round pick, and Jacksonville had him for a year and a half. They waived him, and when San Francisco was terrible, they pounced on that waiver claim in 2017. He's been with them ever since. And I just think the Colts have made it clear that if you were ranking position groups for this football team that underperformed the most last season – I think I'd put defensive tackle atop that list. I mean, just really underperformed. Uh, you know, Marcus Hunt gets benched, you know, a month into the season. Grover Stewart becomes a starter. The Colts made, I always find this interesting note, and I think I've briefly mentioned it, but some of you may have missed it. The Colts made three roster moves outside of their practice squad. So again, roster moves to their 53-man roster. They signed three guys to their 53-man roster from outside of their building in the first, like, two months, maybe two and a half months of the season. 
all three of those guys play defensive tackle. That's unusual. That's rare. And it goes to show you how disappointed they were in that position group. Well, now what have they done this year? Hunt leaves. Boom, Buckner comes in. Now you have Sheldon Day. And you look at the depth there. And these, your top five defensive tackle tackles that you have right now. Buckner, Grover Stewart, Sheldon Day, Danico Autry, Tyquan Lewis. Now, a lot of people have the question, what happens with Lewis? What happens to Autry? Those guys. You could honestly cut Autry and save some money, but I, I, I don't think you want to go there. I know he only had a few sacks last season. Definitely not the same um, year that he had in 2018, but, but still, I look at Autry and Sheard, and I th- or excuse me, Autry and Lewis, and I think to myself, can they give you some snaps at defensive end where Jabal Sheard is now gone? You know, both of those guys have played end before for you. In an ideal world, they'd probably play defensive tackle, but some rundown snaps at defensive end I think makes a lot of sense because that was my big thing with Sheard is like, man, that rundown presence on early downs, that's enticing to me. Well, now could Autry do that? Could Lewis do that a little bit? And then Kamoko Terry comes on the field and is that guy on, on third down for you opposite Justin Houston. So I, I love the depth on the defensive line. I think it's um, it's quickly ascended to being a strength of this football team, and it's such a Chris Ballard mantra. So we, we, we shouldn't be shocked by it at all. Um, and this is a wake-up call for a guy like Tyquan Lewis. This is a wake-up call. You know, last year when they didn't draft a defensive lineman until, what, Gary Green in the sixth round because Banigou was a linebacker in college, that was telling Komoko Turi and Tyquan Lewis, we believe in you. Well, now this move is saying, hey, Nico Autry, Tyquan Lewis, we didn't like what we saw in 2019. You got to stay healthy, specifically Lewis, and you got to produce. So I, I still think there's roles for them, just not that natural three-technique role necessarily. Um, they can play some snaps there, but again, can you get them a little bit of action at uh, at defensive end? All right, moving on to Devin Funches with the Packers. Again, not official numbers there yet on him, but man, whew. you talk about Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> yeah, that's that should be a good situation for uh, for Devin Funches, considering Green Bay really didn't have a whole lot of support. Devontae Adams, I guess that would be the other corner that uh, or the other number one wideout that the Colts would could look into shadowing next season. Uh, but, you know, as we sit here right now, about, what, 10 or 11 days into legal tampering and into free agency, I mean, I am surprised the Colts have not made a move at wideout. I am. And you're starting to see more of those guys come off the board. This is a busy week. Busy week for that. You know, Aguilar and Perriman and Funchess. Um, I know I'm forgetting a name or two, but Emmanuel Sanders, I think, was this week as well. You're starting to see more of those guys come off the board. And now you look at the group and it's like, Demarcus Robinson, Paul Richardson, Geronimo Allison, um, Rashard Higgins. I mean, it's, it's not, and again, those are more of the younger 25, 26 age group, but there's just not a lot in, a, in, in an already you know, free agent class that was pretty dire to begin with. Um, so if you look at last year, 
for the Colts. It was a group that underperformed at wideout. And, you know, Deion Kane obviously is no longer here. Devin Funches is gone. Dontrell Inman and Chester Rogers are free agents. I mean, if you're going to go play tomorrow, it's Hilton, Pascal, and Campbell as your top three. Decent group. Really want Hilton to be healthy. Same thing for Campbell. Pascal, nice story for sure. He's still young, but like, I'd feel better if he was my number four. And then again, we I will stress this so much. You've got to think about life after T.Y. Hilton. And Chris Ballard has mentioned that although last year we saw differently with some wideouts there in the second round range, the guys that came in were instant impacts, the A.J. Browns, the D.K. Metcalfs, the Debo Samuels, some of those guys. Ballard was very honest earlier this offseason in talking about college wideouts coming to the NFL. It is no slam dunk. Here's the Ballard quote about that. I don't know if you ever get one of one out of the college ranks who is completely polished. They have traits to be ready. It's one of the harder positions coming into the league. Can it be done? Yes, it can absolutely be done. You see it in the league right now. But with all the press coverage, with all the different looks they get, with the physicality and all the things they have to deal with in our la- in our league, it is not an easy tr- transition. I think Ballard's pretty honest about it. And that's a lot of things to be investing just strictly. I'm not acting like free agency is going to offer some guarantee answer. And I know people are scared of free agent wideouts and this and that. But you saw it in the Super Bowl this past season. With Sammy Watkins and Emmanuel Sanders, free agency and trade, gave their football teams, it was needed support. And just because you've had misses there, and again, free agent wideouts haven't lived up to their contracts, it doesn't mean that should scare you or ignore you. You keep plugging away. You keep trying. you got a different quarterback. You can't be scared of that. And I just think it's a lot to go into the draft and say, all right, here we go. Day one ready. We need it. I know it's a great draft class at wideout, and that's certainly, I think, playing into some of this for the Colts. But um, I think about the need now, and, and I, I think about the need moving forward. And I'll, I will say this a lot this offseason. Offensive line and the wideout group, they mean so much, especially the bigger body wideout. I've probably changed my stance a little bit there. You know, earlier in the offseason, I know when we talked about wideout, it was so much of like, just give me a guy that's going to go score with the ball in his hands. Yards after catch. Give me a guy that can go make plays. I don't care what the body type. Now you lose Funches. You see what Rivers is used to dealing with. I look at it and think, man, that bigger body wideout. That's pretty enticing to me. Before we climb into Twitter questions, one last note on the – on the receivers. Currently, the Colts have 10 wideouts on their roster. 10. I'll read them off. Rodney Adams, Paris Campbell, Ashton Doolin, Malik Henry, T.Y. Hilton, Steve Ishmael, Zach Pascal. Somewhere Joey Molinaro is laughing at that. 
Zach Pascal, Artavis Scott, Chad Williams, Reese Fountain. Five of those ten have never caught a pass in the NFL. Doolin and Williams certainly spent portions of 2019 on your practice squad. And Campbell and Fountain are coming off season-ending injuries. I like Reese Fountain. I think it's a I think it's a, a great story, certainly. But again, I'm not putting all my eggs in the Reese Fountain basket. It's risky. That's risk. You've been bitten by risk in prior years at wideout. I don't want to have the same amount of risk. Again, Fountain, great story. Really flashed last year in training camp, but he didn't have anywhere near the same production as a Deion Kane in college, nor playing at that level. You know, he was an FCS kid. So a guy like Fountain, certainly the draft, that's where you're going to have to tap into some guys that can provide quality instant impact early in the 2020 season. All right, Twitter question time. Got about 10 or 11 here that I will hit on. Let's start with Zach. This was sent before the Xavier Rhodes signing, FYI. But Zach says, Seems to me Ballard's strategy is to get to the quarterback quick. Houston, Buckner, and Turay, when Turay was healthy last year, Mixed with Leonard and Okariki covering means in a perfect world, the DBs don't have to cover very long, but this DB group scares me with how young and inconsistent they are. There has to be more infusion of talent somewhere. Do you think Eric Berry is still on the table, or is it a draft-only option? Well, a lot of things to hit on there, and again, that was set before the Xavier Rhodes signing, so that adds something to that corner group. You know, the thing with Berry... I was always like, okay, does he want to come here and probably be a backup? You know, Malik Hooker and Kari Willis, I think, are your starting safeties. And I think you feel pretty good about that to some degree. And then George Odom, who I thought really came on last year and I think is a nice sub-package safety for you. Now, who's your fourth safety? Clayton Gathers, a free agent. Has that time come and gone? Um... So, yeah, I, I look at DB, and I still think one draft pick needs to come there. You know, can you find a Marvell Tell-ish guy in the fifth round? Versatile, can play both spots, something like that. That would be intriguing to me. But to get back to your point about you know getting to the quarterback quick, boy, in this defense, it's got to happen. And I, I, I know I've harped on that. You've got to win with your front four and your front five because you want to drop seven, you want to drop six. Those are things that you want to do. Um, and, and I just feel like with this front, it goes off of Ballard's comments about, you know, you all obsess over wideouts, I obsess over the trenches. And it's a big core belief to him. Now, I, I still want some talent at corner. I still want the ability to, okay, man coverage, that guy can potentially shadow another guy. So um, that's what I would like to see the Colts tap into um, a little bit more. But I do think from a defensive line standpoint, you think about quicker rhythm quarterbacks in the league, if you can disrupt that timing, that's a huge element. All right, Peyton chimes in here. 
Will Rhodes really cost less than just re-signing to Sear? Yes, it sounds like a, around a million, million and a half less than uh, what Pierre Desir was due, six and a half million in 2020. Even if this saves some cap space, do you think it's worth losing Desir, who seems to have a much higher ceiling than Rhodes? That's where I would disagree. I think Rhodes has the higher ceiling. Again, 2017, he's an all-pro corner. And folks, don't tell me Xavier Rhodes is a Pro Bowl corner last year. Don't. Do not. Do not go there. Just, it, it, it's laughable. It's it's what is laughable about the alternate at corner. The alternate route for people to get into the Pro Bowl. It's laughable. He, he made it all just strictly by name. Any sort of metric film you watch, Xavier Rhodes was not anywhere near a Pro Bowl corner last season. And really, he struggled the past two years. So I, as I was saying earlier, I think the Colts believe with, familiarity from a position coach standpoint, not asking Rhodes to do the things that Minnesota asked him to do or as much of, they can get him back to being a better corner than he's been the last two years. And again, they feel like there's higher potential, higher ceiling than what Desir gave. Now, I would like to see both of them there, you know? And Pierre Desir is a guy that, you know, I thought he battled a few injuries last year. And can you get him fully healthy? And, you know, Xavier Rhodes appeared to be nicked up at times last year. It's just, it, 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 there is a lower floor with this signing. And it, it's a lot of pressure on this coaching staff. Certainly pressure on a guy like Jonathan Gannon, the cornerback's coach, and just this staff in general to try and get more out of Xavier Rhodes, a guy that's going to turn 30 here in a couple of months. We had a lot of questions on Xavier Rhodes, so uh, I'm sorry if I missed um, a few of the other ones, but just wanted to kind of go over all those. All right, we got one here from Zach. Um, Do you think Ballard's approach on wide receiver in this free agency class had more to do with not a lot of quality or just lack of interest in players wanting to come here? Seems like we need to find somebody right. I was always pro sign one and draft one, but maybe they think with upgraded quarterback there is a there is they are in a little better shape. Yeah, you know, it, it it's a good question. Um and, and I go back to the college comment that Ballard made. You know, it's no slam dunk that these guys come in and play. There were some second round hits last year. There were some second rounds fail, failing last year as well. So um, I think a lot of that plays into things of, okay, yes, there is the deeper college class, and we're definitely going to tap into that. But I also look at you know, what you have from a, um, from a free agency class this year and – I don't think they were in love with some of the price tags that these guys got. Uh, maybe there were some guys that were kind of like, do I want to go there? But, you know, you look at, you know, Perriman goes to the Jets. or Robbie Anderson goes to, um, where do you go, Carolina. You know, it's not like their slam dunk quarterback situation was, was any different, really. Um, and before Jacoby versus... 
what you have with Rivers, I think is much, much different. You know, to me, if I'm a bigger body wideout, the Rivers thing on a one-year short-term contract, that's enticing. You saw the opportunities that he gives guys like Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and, and, and those guys. Again, I think that is something that would be pretty attractive. So I think ultimately it is a little bit of a mix um, on that, but I think it's more so to do with the Colts just not loving a lot of those free agent wideouts. And I mean, who knows? Maybe they go wide out with two of their first three picks in the draft, something like that. But I think significant draft capital has to come there. All right, Patrick asking Mel Kuyper's latest mock draft. He had Jordan Love falling all the way to New England at 23. Assume Love starts falling. How likely is it with how the offseason played out that Ballard trades up and takes him? Maybe using both number twos to do it. Um, Boy, I wouldn't love to give up both number twos. Let me, um, let me look up here if that would be a trade. So if you go to New England at 23... You give up thirty-four and forty-four. No, that's that that's too much value. Yeah, that's too much value. You give up thirty-four and seventy-five. That actually is a little bit more value that matches up there. So um yeah, I I, I wouldn't love that giving up both twos. But again, trading up for Jordan Love at twenty-three or something like that. I think twenty is kind of the sweet spot. If one of those quarterbacks starts falling, that's, I think, the highest that I would move up. Now, I still believe that the Colts look at the 2021 quarterback class and they could be intrigued there. Now, what that does is that delays some of the growth period that you have and, you know, again, pushes back the quarterback need potentially for years kicking the can down the street. So... um I'm not sure if I love that idea, but again, if one of those, you know, if one of those quarterbacks falls and you go, you know, trade up for 20, you know, to 20, and then you have your 44 second round pick and you take a wide out there, I think some people would would really like that sort of offseason for the Colts. All right, Jake asks, was seemingly a number of former Colts signing a number of former Colts signing deals elsewhere. Will the Colts benefit from their departure in compensatory picks in 2021? They will not. Um, they will not. You got to look at the. Um, you got to look at the um, value of Philip Rivers and how much money he is making there. Um, what is that? Twenty five million. I mean, that's huge. That's huge. Now, again, you've got guys like Ebron and Haig and Funchess. Um, now, Pierre Desir won't count because you released him. Um, who's the other one that you released? Hoyer won't count because you released him. So, you know, Rivers counts against you. And that, I mean, that's a huge value. That's like a third-round pick value. Um, so, Ebron cancels out. Haig probably cancels out. Funchess, I'd assume. Josh Andrews, I'd assume. So, yeah, I would be surprised if the Colts got anything of significance from a compensatory pick standpoint. Alaska Colts fan, do you like the road signing as an insurance policy should they not draft a cornerback? Yeah, I guess that's one way to look at it. I mean, I was more of a veteran than a drafted corner. But if Rhodes has fallen off a cliff, this signing doesn't help your depth at all, really. 
So I think, again, drafting of some defensive back is how you should use one of those seven picks. It's been a while since we had a Josh Rosen question, so I will throw this in there. Brian goes, I know he's kind of an unproven commodity, but do you think the Colts have any interest in Josh Rosen? I do not, Brian. Um, it's a fair question. I know I've probably answered it in a little bit more of a harsh terms, but I do that because I do it for a reason. I do it for a reason. I don't do it just to laugh off Josh Rosen in terms of the question itself. It's not like you're asking me about Scott Tolzien. You're asking me about a former top 15 pick. But uh, no, the Colts do not have interest in Josh Rosen. And honestly, I, I don't really think that they should. I, I guess I, I, I was never a big Rosen guy. Um, I tend to kind of side with looking at the draft for that next long-term answer at quarterback. Isaac, would you rather ride with Jacoby Brissett or Phillip Rivers in 2020 regardless of current contracts? You know, this is an interesting question. Um you throw in the caveat of regardless of current contracts, I think that's where people would almost want for, again, in a vacuum, Rivers an upgrade over Brissett this season. But I think most agree on that. I certainly believe that. But again, a lot of people will only want to look towards long-term view at quarterback. And when you look at it like that, I mean, hell, who gives them, you know, two you-know-whats about Phillip Rivers for one year is there a higher ceiling with Jacoby Brissett? I don't think there is. I, I, I think we've kind of seen that. But again, some people would be more curious of 27-year-old versus 38-year-old. I think you know what you have in Brissett. So I would rather ride with Rivers for this season. Um, but again, some people might say, oh, no, no. I'll want to think longer term there. And I think that's where the Ursay thing comes into play of like, can you improve in the short term while also looking at the long term? And now that's where a drafted quarterback, in my mind, has to come into play, has to come in early. I don't know if any of you guys caught that uh, Jim Ursay interview with uh, Jeffrey Gorman over on Colts.com. Last 20 minutes is all music talk, but first 30 was what well, was actually great. Um, some great stuff looking in there. And um, I feel like the Ursay comment that really stood out to me is that they could have been 12 and 4 last year. And I just think that's a dangerous slope to go down. Like, and I don't think the Colts' moves act like they're that close. Now, receiver to me is, is a huge need and something that they need to tap into. But like, there's a fine line between like acting like you're knocking on the door and not making any moves and realizing that, did you have a lot of close losses last year? Yeah. Did you have a lot of close wins? Yes. I mean, your first five wins were all one possession games. So it, that to me is just a dangerous slope of like, when you play that game and you start to think that you're a lot closer than you actually are. Ugh, uh, I don't, Again, I don't, I don't love that. And it, it's weird to me coming from Ursay because the year before, I thought he was brutally honest when saying, you've got to learn from the Kansas City playoff loss. That's the bar. That's the standard. That's where you got to get to. 
And now, to me, that that's like too much. Like, it's too much kind of season ticket hype it up. You know, trying to get the Colleen Bowens of the world involved that 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 might might think that they're a lot closer than they really are, sort of thing. Um, you had a lot of one possession games, and Ballard talked about you know were you playing with fire during that stretch? I certainly thought the Colts were. I thought they'd come back to reality, and they did. They became a seven and nine football team. And I think in the end, it probably evened out. A lot of one-possession losses, a lot of one-possession wins. And I think um, you just got to be honest with yourself. And, and, I, and again, I think Ballard's moves, particularly on the defensive side, he's invested some big-time resources there, knowing that this is a football team that just has to get better. All right, Colts Fisher, what would you give up for Mike Williams? Wow either in August or mid-season if the Chargers are sellers, uh, I'd give up a lot for Mike Williams. A lot. Yeah. Stefan Diggs getting a first-round pick. Um, and I think a little bit more. You know, I, I'd, oh boy, I'd give up something close to that. I know he hasn't had the same sort of production. hasn't been in the league as long as Diggs. Maybe he has been. I don't know. Diggs is still fairly young. But that body type, former top-ten pick, yeah, I'm probably giving up a first-rounder for him. J-Bones, thoughts on pursuing Deshaun Watson. I doubt there's any real chance. Just want to see your thoughts. Yeah, uh, yes, obviously. I would, I would without a doubt pursue Deshaun Watson. Is he on the open market? <laughs> I, I mean, I know Bill O'Brien's crazy, but um, yeah, I would pursue Deshaun Watson. Lastly here, Mac. Matt asks, in a vacuum without taking Kappa implications into consideration, would you rather have Brissett or Jameis Winston as the Colts' backup quarterback? That, that, that's interesting to me. Um, hmm. Okay, I view backup as like, that's your backup quarterback. Like, it's not really a long-term option to me. At least I would in this situation. You know, again, cap situation's out the window long-term implications on my mind, Winston for sure. But there's too much volatility there for me to have him as as the backup. At least with Brissett, I know what I'm getting, and I can kind of script the game plan around that. With Winston, hell, I could be getting 300 yards. I could be getting freaking 30 picks. And that that's that's dangerous for me. Am I getting the good Jameis Winston for two games or the bad? That's, oof. I'd probably rather have Jacoby Brissett. And again, I'm talking one game stopgap backup. I'm not, if I'm going longer term, it's Winston. But too much volatility. I want to know what I have in my backup. That's kind of how I look at it. All right, that, that wraps up Twitter questions. Again, probably I'm not expecting too much from the Colts, but you know, one pod next week. We'll get into more Twitter questions then and uh, any other news that breaks regarding the Colts and free agency. I just felt like we needed to come with two this week, uh, considering that the Colts were more active as the week went along. Like I harped on earlier this week, 1075thefan.com, tons of written coverage, gives you a break from all the chaos that we're currently dealing with and um, I've had a few more people reach out to me, uh, just thanking me for for the content and the and the podcast. I'm glad you guys are appreciating it and, and getting a little bit of a break. And as I said on Tuesday, it gives me a break. You know, I, I'm obviously doing what I love. I'm fortunate right now to still 
you'll still have my job and uh, to be producing this this type of content for you. So I'm enjoying it as well, and I'm glad that you guys um, are seeing that. Lastly, before we move on, a uh, couple of needs for the Colts. I think wide out, like I said, and let's not forget about offensive line depth. You know, I really hit on that hard on, on the Tuesday podcast. You got a little over $20 million is kind of my guess right now in, in free agency. That depth needs to be explored. So I think that is certainly still a need for this football team. Everybody stay safe out there. Have a great weekend. Hope you get to uh, have, a, have a little break from the chaos that we're living in right now. Um, and again, KBO and 1070 on Twitter. If you have any Twitter questions, DM me, and I will get to them next week. Everybody have a great weekend, and thanks for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner.